Several weeks ago, I began to consider uh, in the Lord what uh, he would speak during the three meetings we would have together this weekend. And the basic reason for considering this is something of indescribable importance. And that is, only God the Father is our source. One aspect of his being the Father is that he is the origin, the initiator, the source of everything that will fulfill his purpose to carry out his will, to accomplish his intention. And in his first epistle, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he addressed it to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church, here it's of the San Franciscans, I suppose, but the church is also in God the Father. That indicates everything in the church life should have its source in the Father. Everything in the ministry, everything in the work. We need to wait upon the Lord to seek Him. And as it pleases Him to give us the sense and the direction Our responsibility is to follow him. And so though I had been ministering along other lines of crucial importance, I just had this growing sense that the subject should be unknowing and experiencing the resurrection life of Christ. And then when briefly I reconsidered this, I thought, well, maybe I would speak on this instantly. There was the restriction. So my genuine sense as I'm standing here before the Lord with you is that our God wants all of us to know more and experience more the resurrection life of Christ. And then one other matter concerning the nature of these three messages and to whom they're addressed. Let me put it this way. Each message is addressed to you, singular. Not first to you, plural, but to you, singular. Now, only God knows where each one of us is, where we are in our growth in life, what we need, what is, in, what is hindering us. So the Father knows 
the spiritual state and condition of every child. And he loves them all without partiality. And the Lord is the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. He is aware day and night of the situation of every sheep. And his character and person are such that if even the vast majority of the sheep are here with the flock on the pasture, if there's one not there, he leaves and searches until he finds it. And then the spirit flowing in the body of Christ is conscious of the need, the function of every member of the body of Christ. Then related to this is the following. We fully agree with what God has revealed concerning his eternal purpose and what has been taught to us through the genuine ministry God's goal is to have an eternal corporate expression of himself in Christ with all the glorified sons of God. The goal is a corporate expression. But in recent months, I've just been dwelling on a thought. If nothing is taking place on a personal level, there will be nothing genuine on a corporate level. So consider this imaginary, never-will-happen illustration. The church where you are is about to have another love feast. And you've been to so many of them And you know that there's always more than superabundance of food. So this one time, just this one time, I'm so busy, this is especially the sister, I just won't bring anything. No one will notice. There'll be so much there. But unknown to her is that everyone has the same thought. And so there's this trust in the corporateness. And so we come together and the leading brothers and the elders realize, where's the food? Here are all the people, where's the food? Now we are ordering 170 pizzas. Okay. I I had to come up with a kind of imaginary illustration. But the point is, If something is not taking place in us personally and we come together corporately, the only thing we can do is perform. We can just now be in the spirit somewhat for an hour. But the spirit knows this is not reality. This is not an expression of your daily living and learning from the Lord. 
a Lord's table meeting, the most important meeting of the church, ordained by the Lord himself for us to practice until he comes and we feast with him again in the kingdom. The Lord's table meeting is a reflection of the spiritual substance of the church. And if there is not substance, there will be ritual, there will be form, there will be this and that. I'm just using that as a further illustration that it's my sincere feeling that the sense in the ministering spirit with the goal of the corporate expression, the real burden is to speak words to each one of us. And I'm the first recipient as I'm speaking. I'm not replacing the Lord speaking. And so this has been our prayer that the Lord would minister to us, feed us, nourish us, shepherd us, care for us regarding this matter of the resurrection life of Christ. Now we're moving into a definition of uh, the general subject. And I need to point this out. Paul, and Paul was Saul of Tarsus and met him when he was still Saul of Tarsus. He met the resurrected and ascended Christ. He did not know the Lord Jesus in the stage of his incarnation. He met him as the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, and immediately his life was changed at the core. And he tells us concerning himself that God is in his mercy made him, gave mercy to Paul to be a pattern to all those who would believe. That's 1 Timothy 1.16. You see, if we only had Christ Jesus as the prototype of a God-man living, our thoughts from time to time might work like this before God. Lord, I, I know you uh, want us to be the same as you. You want to reproduce yourself to live a God-man life. But, Lord, I'd like to make two points. Number one, you are God in the Godhead, and I'm not. Number two, Lord, you are without sin. And my body is a body of sin and the flesh of sin. So I ask to be excused from this high requirement because only someone who is God in the Godhead and who is sinless can do this. 
Well, I'm not daring to say God anticipated this thinking, but this is what he did. And I agree with Paul. He's not being falsely humble. He referred to himself as the greatest sinner. Because in Acts 9, he was breathing out murder. That's what the text says. That means he's expressing what's his being. He wants to destroy the churches and put the saints to death. And he barged into home meetings, dragged both brothers and sisters out to the religious court and voted for the death penalty. He, he was seeking to destroy the thing for which Christ died. Then he got saved. And the Lord, it seems to me he's saying this. I will take this great sinner. And through my mercy shown to him, he will be a pattern to every believer that comes until I return. In other words, if I can gain him, I can gain anyone. Probably not even one time this week did you breathe out murder against anybody, right? You didn't try to destroy any churches. So he's the pattern. So when he expresses the longing in his being in Philippians 3, we need to pay attention. This is part of his pattern. And he was in prison when he wrote this. He was very mature when he wrote this. But he said, I, I haven't arrived. I don't consider that I have attained, that I've arrived. I pursue. I'm pursuing. I forget what's behind. I'm stretching forward to what's ahead. And then he said, oh, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Then on the Lord's day, we'll develop this point. And I want to attain to the out-resurrection. This is the resurrection of the victors of the overcomers. It's the resurrection of reward to reign with Christ for a thousand years. It is a resurrection with honors, like graduating with honors. And it's the resurrection of a believer who, during the time allocated to her or to him as a believer, fully experienced the resurrection life of Christ in spirit, in soul, and even in body. And this indicates that God has a goal and Christ in us has a goal. And in each one of us, there's the same direction, whether we know it or not. 
And I'm hoping that we can begin to know a little bit about it tonight. And that direction is to bring our entire being into resurrection. And it began with regeneration. Romans 8.10 says our body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life. He doesn't say living. He doesn't say alive. He said the spirit is life, and he used the word zoe. Our spirit is life. Our spirit is a mingled spirit, mingled with the life-giving spirit of the resurrected Christ. So our regeneration, our birth from above, was the beginning of an inward journey into the resurrection life of Christ. And there's a reason for this. And the reason is, the Lord said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Then he immediately added, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Well, the gates of Hades refer to the power of death with darkness that has its source in the devil. And he will build up his church and the church will be of such a nature that the power of death, the ultimate enemy of God and man, will not prevail. Can you anticipate in your thinking now what that implies? There are only two things, if I have to word, use the word things, that death cannot prevail against. The first is God himself. The second is resurrection life. So the church Christ is building is a death-defeating church. It will be constituted thoroughly with the resurrection life of Christ. And then when we see that the church is the organic body of Christ, and we study this more, we will realize body of Christ in its reality is absolutely in the resurrection life of Christ. And we know from Brother Lee's ministry in 1994, in a conference on blending, he pointed out that the local churches are not the goal. They are the procedure. The goal is the reality of the body of Christ. And that reality is absolutely in resurrection. So we may be personally in different stages, and that's normal. We're a big family. That I know a brother, he's only in his late 60s. He's been a grandpa for a long time. Before long, he's going to be a great-grandpa. 
If he lives to be around 92, he might be a great-great-grandpa. What kind of a family reunion? Everyone's at a different stage, but everyone's heading to the same goal, consummation. And Paul had an inward realization of this. He was focused on this. He said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to be in this resurrection in a victorious way. And just allow me to finish this thought. It's slightly, uh, I think it's still along the line of the thought. Believers, genuine believers, when they come to the end of the time the Lord allocated for them, and they pass away and go to be with the Lord, they go in two different kinds of conditions. All the believers are virgins, according to Matthew 25. They all have oil, the spirit, and their lamps, the human spirit. But some, during their lifetime, got oil added to their vessel, to their soul. They were filled, saturated, permeated with the spirit. The others did not use the time allocated to them. They did not take that seriously to pursue it day by day. And they were under the deception that passing away, dying, solves all problems. But it doesn't solve any problems. So if a believer passes away in immaturity, and that believer is resurrected, that one will still be in immaturity. Now the growth process must continue. This is not a pleasant truth for many of us. But to me, it's not an act of love to withhold truth from one another. To hold back part of the truth in ministering the word. To make things seemingly easier for others. And so I can testify, although I'm not, I don't analyze myself, that I have a sense in the Lord, I can honestly testify. I have this goal governing me to advance in the resurrection life of Christ until at least my entire soul is brought into resurrection, all the capacities. And according to Romans 8.11, life is imparted to my mortal body. The body remains mortal. I know when you're 22 and are pushing weights, you don't believe in anything other than your immortality. And I just say, look, you're young, just be young. We're not going to try to age you ahead of time and de defraud you of your youth. But sooner or later, you will realize you are mortal. And your body is mortal. And <clears throat> you are very thankful that the one who raised Jesus from the dead <clears throat> will impart life to your mortal body. 
which is doing in me right now. My flat feet are down there, still flat as ever, but even they're getting a little resurrection life. <clears throat> so, this is not a theory to me. It's not a mere teaching. It is an urgent matter in our personal Christian life. So the general subject will be knowing and experiencing the resurrection life of Christ. And the knowing, at least one kind of knowing, must come before experiencing. That's why Paul in Ephesians first prayed for revelation and wisdom in the full knowledge of the triune God. Then, in Ephesians 3, he prayed for the experience of the triune God. So a little definition of what resurrection is to open the way. First, we may say resurrection is a life that has entered into death, passed through death, conquered death, and then lives forever. That's resurrection life. It enters into death. The Lord himself took the lead, passed through death, walked out of death and listen to what he told the Apostle John who had just collapsed in the Lord's presence when he saw him as the Son of Man. In Revelation 1, 17, the last part in 18, I am the first and the last and the living one. And I became dead and behold, I am living forever and ever. So, resurrection, we know from John 11.25, is Christ himself. He said, I am the resurrection. Well, just to divert a little bit, we're going to marry the Lord as our husband, and his name is Resurrection, the wife has to match, has to match. That's another reason why we need to be in resurrection. But he has this characteristic, I am the living one. Before the meeting, some of us prayed this verse. It, it was so good. I am the first and the last and the living one. The Lord is the living one. We, we don't need livingness to the young people. If we are in resurrection, the older we get physically, the more living we will be. Amen. And the Lord went on to say, I became dead. And behold, I am living forever and ever. Then he said, I have the keys of death in Hades. The keys were in the devil's hands. But I went down into that realm. I proclaimed my victory through the evil spirits that are there, 1 Peter 3, 18. And I claimed the keys of death in Hades. 
And I walked out with these keys and I tell the enemy, death is still operating, but it's under my authority. Hades is still there. I am the one with the keys to it. So resurrection is not only the Christ of John 11.25. Resurrection is the Christ of Revelation 1.17 and 18. The living one who became dead and is alive. He's living forever and ever. Now as we move toward experience. Experientially. Resurrection is the life-giving spirit. And so now in message one, we have two parts. Knowing the meaning of resurrection and drinking the water of life in resurrection. And I think I have the leading to emphasize more the second part on drinking the water of life in resurrection. Because actually just in the last half hour, I became aware of something. Uh, And I became aware of it in the light of what uh, my general practitioner doctor directed me to do. This was... The physician's command. Drink eight glasses of water every day. And so I I just took him at his word. Then I realized certain condition I was in, I was dehydrated. Didn't even know it. You can be dehydrated before you sense the thirst. And just to now to, to, to take it in, I got to keep a record in my mind. Is this glass six? Is it seven? I'm at six and a half, so I'm not done yet. And then it occurred to me, there is quite, so let me just ask you, uh, but not for you to answer, but I'm not asking you like a prosecutor interrogating you. How much this last week? Let's just say from Monday till now. How often did you drink the Spirit? And let me further inquire. And I address these questions to myself first. I, I don't go around. To what extent is this a, an experiential reality to you? Physically, I realize now it verges on the life and death matter. At least it's a healthy or sick matter. I need water. I need water. Constantly. And uh, I believe the Lord's Spirit realizes there's a widespread spiritual dehydration among us. And he would like not only just to quench our thirst in a superficial way, but to continuously flow into our being through our drinking him. And this water is a special kind of water. Arrowhead is no comparison with it. 
or Dasani that you get from the Coke company, whatever that name came from. This is resurrection water. And so we'll get to that, but first we need to properly pass through the first section. We need to know the meaning of resurrection. A life that passes through death and remains is resurrection. Resurrection overcomes death. Acts 2.24. Christ died. He was buried. The verse says it was impossible for the bonds of death to contain him. Cannot contain him. Then little two says, resurrection is life that has come out from death and is beyond the natural realm. This is what Paul experienced. He knew this. And Christ is this kind of life. The spirit is this kind of life. He mentioned in one of his epistles, we die daily. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12. Death is operating in our body. Verse 12, death operates in me, life in you. But this life is the resurrection life that passes through death. And then is beyond death, cannot be touched. It's in another realm. And Paul aspired for himself, and he was burdened for all of us, reflecting God's burden. Our God wants to bring our entire being into resurrection before we stand before the Son of Man. He wants to fulfill our spirit. Then he wants to make his home in our heart. Saturate our inward parts. Every inch, every part of our inner being. A transition takes place from the old creation to the new, from the natural to resurrection. The sooner this can start to happen, the more life will flow from us to care for one another in preaching the gospel to people we meet. Because our being is becoming constituted with resurrection life. And although I will not focus on this, I will not avoid it either. Human life, by its very nature, is a life of suffering. No one's an exception. But I can testify something, a verse that is not just a text in Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. It's a rima. Love is as strong as death. Because first I experienced death in a particular way. Then love, like I've never known it before, came in. Then the verse goes on to say, many waters cannot quench love, nor do the floods drown it. 
This is a love in resurrection. B says, the Lord Jesus cannot be held by death. He became dead and lived again. So the Christ who is in you right now, no matter what form death intrudes upon your personal situation, nothing can hold him down. Nothing can defeat him. Nothing can define him. We will have, and we should have, the normal human response. There's a dear brother, and my wife and I, I opened my heart to my wife that we could pray for him. His wife passed away suddenly earlier this year. And now I see him. He's just, just distraught. His whole countenance, his posture, the way he's caring for himself. I just pray, Lord, comfort him with resurrection life. The Lord in him will bring him through. This is a reality. We sing that him, death cannot hold the resurrection life. It cannot hold. See, the power of Christ's resurrection is the resurrection power that resurrected him from among the dead. And the power is emphasized in Ephesians 1. The power that raised him from the dead brought him all the way up to the highest heavens and enthroned him. And there are times when we need to sense not only the life, but the power of it. And be constituted with the power of it. And you go to visit someone who is very seriously ill. Like a dear brother in Southern California. uh, Just in his 40s. He's in the hospital for four or five weeks. Had three surgeries. It was really questionable whether his body could survive all of this. And what does he say to his wife? He said, this is the sweetest time of my life. The sweetest experience. Because in the midst of that, he was touching resurrection. He was experiencing resurrection. He was becoming a resurrected person. D, the reality of resurrection is Christ as the life-giving spirit. So if, if Christ were not the life-giving spirit, he, were, he was only objectively in resurrection, we could have an external touch with him. But he couldn't enter into us. But his intention is to enter into us as the life-giving spirit who is the reality of resurrection, and to begin to expand this resurrection life to our whole being, to our whole life. And when once 
it dawns on us that this is what is happening. And this is what the Lord is doing. Then we can begin more and more to cooperate with this. To pursue this like Paul did. Lord, thank you. You gave me another day. This is the only day I have for sure. Advance in spreading the resurrection life today. I mentioned this a number of times. I don't know where this comes from. People barrage me with advertisements for anti-aging this, anti-aging that, take this, anti-aging. I like to tell them, first of all, I don't believe in that stuff. The second is, I don't want to be anti-aging. I just want to be a normal human being. This is the stage of human life. What I want, if I'm going to age, I'll tell you, man, it's going to be in resurrection power, in resurrection life. I'm not going to do Botox if they still do that or get plastic surgery or this or that. I accept the stage of life I'm in. And I don't envy those that are in their 30s, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to go back there and repeat that whole thing again. <laughs> it's your turn now. <laughs> you just go ahead. <clears throat> well, we're forgetting what's behind. We're straining forward to what's ahead because the best is ahead. Okay. So one under D, the highest definition of resurrection is that it is the process by which Christ, the last Adam, became the life-giving spirit. I'm glad that he didn't just resurrect with a body and then go to heaven. Then we believe the facts. That's not God's intention. God would say, I created you as a vessel because I want to enter into you and fill you with myself. That will make you very happy and make me happy too. So he became the spirit, even as breath in John 20, 22. Two, in resurrection, Christ comes into us as the pneumatic Christ, as the spiritual breath. And another aspect of our journey, and we'll... I haven't reached this point yet. I'm still, still learning. We will learn to live Christ breath by breath. Breath by breath. Just like our human life. I believe we have something that corresponds to the autonomic nervous system. And I don't know anything about it except it's the autonomic nervous system and things happen without self-effort, right? So I, I ate a lamb shank for dinner. I have to be honest. I ate two lamb shanks for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm not working at digesting anything. There must be some automatic organic laws in my body that govern it. Same thing with breathing. And so it won't be that we're trying it will be that we're just breathing. 
And then we realize the next thing we need is water. And then following the water, we need the food. Breath, water, and food. And uh, no one can breathe for you. Is anyone here not breathing? No? Okay. And you need to drink for yourself. You need to eat for yourself. This is why it's personal. I can't drink the spirit for you. I can let living water flow from my being to you. But I can't drink for you. D-E, to be in resurrection means that our natural life is crucified. You knew we would get here sooner or later, right? We can't cheat you. But notice Paul's sequence. To know him and the power of his resurrection, then the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed to his death. First, we need to experience resurrection, life, and power. Only then are we able to take the cross killing us, terminating us. This is just the sequence. With the Lord Jesus, it was death and resurrection. With us, it's resurrection, death, and resurrection. That's the cycle. But eventually, this is, this is part of the goal. And why I don't say flattering things to all of our smart FTTA trainees, even once in a while, but in an affectionate way. And with, you know, just a pleasant manner, I tell them, I realize some of you are really, really smart. I don't know if they still give the SAT, if it still just goes to 1600. Some of you got 1600 on the SAT. Some of you never know, you never, never knew what a B is. Never got a B in your whole life. And you graduated summa cum laude from Stanford or Harvard, whatever. Okay, now you're in the training. I just like you to know I'm not the least bit impressed. Okay? Because the goal of the training is to enable you to take the way of resurrection that all of this God-created and humanly developed and trained capacity now passes through death and brought into resurrection. That's what happened to Watchman Nee. What kind of colossal mind Photographic memory. Some of you heard this before. We heard this directly from Samuel Chang. Not only his brother in the Lord, but his brother-in-law. They tested him with a stack of newspapers. And he was reading them like this. Then they questioned him on details. All, all of the details. What, what kind of mind is this? Well, the Lord knew he needed a person of this kind of capacity because he needs someone to search and research the entire history of the Christian church of theology and spiritual experience and all the biographies, compare everything according to what's in the word 
and just stand with what's in the word and then receive the vision of the age. And at a real cost, his whole being was brought into resurrection. So instead of fearing the process, we should be motivated by the goal. Because the, you know, there's a song we sing, da 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 What am I da-da-dying? Nothing natural does the body life allow, right? And so, listen, the body says, we protest. Your prayer was natural, we protest. It's just that those in the spirit don't say amen. Others don't have the discernment, they're just being polite, or they're trying to encourage you. Because the body only recognizes what's in resurrection. So this is where we're going, all of us together. Then F, the golden lampstand, which is really in the form of a tree, typifying the church as a body of Christ, <coughs> portrays Christ as the resurrection life growing, branching, budding, and blossoming to shine the light. So the lampstand is like a tree, budding, blossoming, and shining. G, when we do not live by our natural life, but live by the divine life within us, we are in resurrection. The issue of this is the body of Christ. And so that's why this experience in the third stage of the experience of life, dealing with the natural constitution, is a turning point. That's why Jacob was dealt with so thoroughly so that he could become Israel and then reach the highest level of maturity. Because if we stop here, we can have 50,000 local churches no reality of the body anywhere. So we have to have the clear view. The goal is the reality of the body. That reality is in resurrection. For that reality, we are pursuing the Lord. That we ourselves personally would be brought into this dimension. H, we need to know, experience, and gain the God of resurrection. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that um, he speaks of the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's the only kind of person who can comfort and shepherd a saint who's suffering intensely. And it's just your being. I remember back in the summer of 1981 when we learned after a prayer meeting that a 12-year-old young brother named Ben was missing. He was on his job canvassing for the newspaper to get subscribers. He never came home. So I went to 
the site where the place is set up. Brother Lee had, had, had arranged a kind of center there. Eventually, the one who was who murdered him, he was killed. He passed by, but we didn't know it then. And Brother Lee kept track of it. He wanted me to know, to update him. And I remember on a Thursday night, staying with the family until 3 in the morning because some had found a body. And the night detective from the Anaheim Police Department was there. And I remember vividly, he got the call. And then after he hung up the phone, he said, this is not easy to say, but the body they found is your son. And when Brother Lee found out about this, first reaction was, what kind of country is this? Then he called me again. He said, please take me to be with the family. So I took him. And I have vivid memories of just his presence there. His being there brought resurrection life into there's just no, no suffering you can compare to that. I have no idea what that kind of loss is. And then you know what he said? He referred to a hymn. And he read this hymn. And he said, Let, let's sing it. And at the graveside, we sang it again. So I saw this. I saw resurrection lived out in our brothers and in many other members. But Paul went on to say, we were pressed beyond measure. And then he said, the answer was death. In other words, they're inquiring, but what will be the outcome? The answer was death. Then Paul said that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who gives life to the dead. This is what the Lord's recovery needs in every one bearing responsibility at every level in the church life, whether it's infants, children's meetings, young people, whatever it is, the ministry, the work. The Lord needs those who can truly say, I no longer trust myself. I don't trust my strength. I don't trust my experience. I don't trust my intelligence. I don't trust what I know. I trust in the God of resurrection. This is the very nature of the ministry in the Lord's recovery. And I have a personal but positive concern about the future. We don't know when the Lord will return, when the rapture will be. Maybe at such a point that all or most of the present ministering brothers are not with us. What will we have in the future? A host of brilliant, gifted, eloquent brothers. Is that what we'll have? Oh, so eloquent. Oh, what, what a mind. 
What a gift. Yes, it's gift. And it's exciting for a while. But it doesn't accomplish what is needed. It is the ministry of resurrection life on every level. And just to be an ordinary sister, an ordinary brother in the church, with your being being brought into this state, just your being here will minister life. Sister Lee lived to be 95. I can't recall ever hearing her pray in the last 20 years before she died in a meeting. But her presence brought in life. Just seeing her radiant smile just enlivened me. This is what is needed if we are to reach the reality of the body of Christ now. Or will the Lord have to wait another 50 years to go through another cycle? I don't believe he wants to do that. I don't believe he will do that. And I don't believe we will let him do that because we're not going to let that happen. That's what's in my heart for all of this. When God is working through the cross to terminate us, to bring us to an end so that we will no longer trust in ourselves, but in the God of resurrection. When the God of resurrection works, his life and nature are wrought into man. Now we turn to this matter, uh, and it's lighter, not in a shallow way, but it's just lighter and something we can relate to, something we can experience day by day. As believers in Christ, we need to drink of the water of life in resurrection, right? Water of life in resurrection. We need this. And water is quite important in John's ministry. John 4.14, the Lord comes to the well. He's thirsty. This woman comes at midday to draw water. He asked her for a drink. And she was surprised. Why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And then he said, if you knew who it was who asked you to give him a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. And whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him it shall be a fountain in him, springing up into eternal life. Well, this is what should happen when we drink. Just time and time again, we should be able to sense this. I'm calling on you, Lord. I'm contacting you. I'm singing to you. I'm drinking. And then... The water I take in, when it reaches my spirit, it becomes a fountain. That's the Father. And it's springing up. That's the Son. And now the flowing of the water, that's the Spirit. Then in John 7, 
This is the Feast of Tabernacles signifying the peak of success in human achievement. You survived the doctoral program at UC Berkeley and you wrote a 500-page dissertation. You survived the oral review. Now it's graduation and they put the hood on you and you're being photographed. This is a peak moment. They will call you Dr. So-and-so. And then you go home and you're empty and you're thirsty. That's the human feast of tabernacles. You got what you wanted, what you labored for, what you aspired for. You have it and you're still empty. So the Lord said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever drinks of me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So this is not a training. You have to go kind of easy. But how much can we say from the point of view of personal testimony? Today in this situation, rivers of living water were flowing from the depths of my being. It, it's still a verse. It's still a promise to be fulfilled. And then, at the very end of the Bible, in chapter 22, verse 17, and here the Spirit and the Bride are one, right? This is the highest oneness. Listen to this. And the Spirit... And the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty, come. Let him who wills take the water of life freely. The Lord is about to come back. He's about to end this age. The bride is ready. But he still has a heart for the unsaved. So you have this speaking. Come. Whoever wills, come. Is anyone thirsty? Come and take the water of life freely. It's not too late. The age of grace is coming to an end. It's not too late. I just appreciate this in the Lord. He's not saying, I'm getting married. Forget about anybody else. Forget about the enemy. Forget about the sinners and all of this. I just love her. She loves me. I've been waiting for this event. And I'm taking her on a honeymoon to Armageddon. And we're going to have a glorious time. No matter how much joy there is, he still can look upon the earth and see the thirsty souls and give them one last chance. This is how crucial water is to God and to us. Now I read through this. A, the spiritual rock in 1 Corinthians 10.4 refers to the living water that flowed out of the cleft rock. 
This water typifies the spirit as our all-inclusive drink. We just had a conference on knowing and experiencing the all-inclusive, extensive Christ. Now we can point out the all-inclusive, extensive Christ is the living water we can drink. You may not even know what you're drinking. You just drink it. It's all-inclusive. B in Exodus 17.6, the rock is a type of Christ. Moses signifies the law. The staff represents the power and authority of the law. The smiting of the rock signifies that Christ was smitten by the authority of God's law. And the water flowing out of the smitten rock typifies the spirit. So the rock that was smitten, that is Christ. If he hadn't been smitten, the water in him would never flow to us, but he was willing to be smitten that we could drink. Through incarnation, Christ came to earth as the rock. At Calvary, he was crucified, smitten by God's law with its power and authority. His side was cleft and living water flowed out for us to drink. This living water is the spirit the ultimate issue of the triune God. This spiritual drink quenches our thirst and fully satisfies our being. I remember our brother Hudson, J. Hudson Taylor appreciated these verses about living water very much. And I was helped by his definition of thirst. He said, thirst is any unsatisfied yearning or longing. That's thirst. There's just a deep longing in you, a seeking, a yearning in you. That's the thirst. And because of that longing, tonight, especially tomorrow night in San Francisco, humans by the tens of thousands trying all kinds of things to get some satisfaction. And when they wake up and maybe sober up late on Lord's Day morning, the thirst will still be there. And so only, yes, we have certain needs. We want them to be fulfilled. We think, oh, fine, only if I can get married to this kind of person, I'll be satisfied. Or now that I'm married to this kind of person and I'm slightly not satisfied. If I just have X number of children, I'll be satisfied. Well, on one level you are, but eventually you realize only the water satisfies. Because that is a hunger, a thirst for God. For God. To reach our whole being as water. See, the spiritual drink, the living water, is the water of life in resurrection. Now, I just insert here, let's not repeat Moses' big mistake. When they came back to the rock again, or at least when they encountered the rock again, the people were thirsty because they were thirsty. They were not happy. They were murmuring. God knew they were murmuring because of thirst, not because of rebellion. 
So he told Moses, just speak to the rock. It's already been smitten. Just speak to it. But he lost control of his spirit. He took the rod again. He smote the rod the second time and said, you rebels, there's your water. And God came in and said, you're the rebel. You didn't sanctify me. Just today, for, for a period of time, not too long, for several minutes, I was deeply concerned about a matter. And there was ground for that concern. And I realized I'm vulnerable to the enemy's attack on my mind because of this concern, and I don't know the situation. So I just spoke to the rock about it. He says, speak to the rock. And they say, rock, I'm concerned about this. Lord, I'm worried about this. Lord, this is where I am right now. Lord, I'm so tired. Lord, I'm this. That's speaking to the rock. And the rock knows what you need. You speak to the rock, the rock knows, the rock flows. And our dear brother, Ed, from time to time he shared this, and I know it's backed upon his daily experience, and it means a lot to me. He said, just talk to the Lord. Just talk to him. Converse with him. In my case, instead of playing, praying lofty prayers and then silence, I'm just, he's there and I'm here. And I'm just saying, Lord, this is where I am right now. I need you, Lord. He would say, Ron, I know. And I'm ready to flow. But you need to speak. Because when you speak, you open your mouth. When you open your mouth, you open your heart. When you open your heart, you open your spirit. Then I flow. I'm just asking you to speak. Okay. Resurrection. Okay, this is resurrection life. Water of life and resurrection. Resurrection denotes something that has been put to death and is alive again. Resurrection also denotes life that springs forth from something that has passed through death. So this water is resurrection. We're drinking resurrection water. Two, because the water of life is in resurrection, it is victorious and transcends every negative thing. Okay? Transcends, that means it's far above every negative thing. The water. That's all we need to do is drink the resurrection water. And the resurrection life in the water conquers every negative thing. Anything the enemy can throw at us. Anything we're doing to ourselves. Anything negative, troublesome going on in our being. It's no match for resurrection water. For resurrection life. How wonderful that in John 20 and 22, the resurrection is breath. Now here it's, it's water. And I just need to open, we just need to open our mouth and speak to the rock 
The water flows. We need to have the vision. It's not just living water. It's resurrection water. And nothing can stand against it. Nothing in our being. Nothing the enemy is doing. Enemy, you're attacking my mind. To one extent, I know how to resist you. No, I'm going to resist you by drinking resurrection water. And watch what happens to me, enemy, right in front of you. Watch something transcendent rise up right in my being, right in front of you. Now I'm looking down on you. Resurrection water does this. Lord, save me from spiritual dehydration. If I can obey my doctor, who tells me to drink eight glasses a day and do this strictly, and if I'm behind and it's nine o'clock, I'm going to do it. I know because of my age, my sleep will be interrupted. Let it be interrupted. I'm getting my water in today. I'm not going to end the day dehydrated. Three, when we drink the water of life in resurrection, listen, we become persons in resurrection and of resurrection. I believe this for three reasons. One is because this water is the divine life, and that's resurrection. I believe it because it's in the Bible. And I believe it because Brother Lee said it. And I know when he said it, it was a reality to him. And by these three operating together, I realize now I'm not living on borrowed spiritual understanding. Now this is becoming real to me. Resurrection water makes us persons in resurrection and of resurrection. So we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And even the day isn't over yet. We can still end the day in resurrection. Water can win the day. It's only three minutes to nine. I'll be done in about five or seven or so, probably. But we can end the day, no matter how it started, no matter what happened, no matter how the week was, No matter what happened, we can end the week in resurrection life by drinking the water of life in resurrection. But we have to use our mouth and we need to speak to the rock. D, according to the biblical record, drinking is more important than eating. If we are enlightened by the Lord, we will realize that we need drinking even more than eating. For this reason, in 1 Corinthians, Paul emphasizes drinking more than eating. Chapter 12, verse 13. In one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body, and we all drink of one spirit. This needs to become our actual testimony. When we drink in the meeting, it's not something we do just in the meeting. This is an overflow of a life practice that's not a routine, but it's a repetitive, organic practice. Like, aren't you glad your heart is continuing to beat, right? Your body is continuing to digest. Your lungs are continuing to breathe. Life is repetitious in that kind of organic way. And this should just be woven into our being. 
dislike. My mind reminds me to drink the water. My body tells me, drink the water. And I just drink it. It's so simple. And let the water do whatever it does. Now this is resurrection water. Boy, what's going to happen in this part of my emotion that has been hurt in some way or affected in some way? What will happen when resurrection water goes there and heals what's there and remove what's negative? What happens when it goes into the memories and washes away negative memories and the feelings associated with negative memories and yes, you forget them. This is a reality. This is all-inclusive resurrection water. Actually, drinking includes eating because the spiritual food is included in the water of life. I've always wondered about that, Revelation 22. Maybe not always. I haven't done it always. I've just wondered about it a lot, okay? The river of water of life is flowing out of the throne, and then the river is the tree of life. You got the same thought in Isaiah 55. So actually, the food will be in the water. Okay? I don't know how it is. I just know it is. And so you're not only resurrected, you're nourished because the tree of life is there. Wherever, okay. Uh, A, without the water of life, we cannot have spiritual food. Thus, if we fail to drink, we will not be able to eat. So if we try to have Holy Word for Morning Revival and eat something, it's not going to work if we don't drink along with it. And some of us have to admit there are some times when we, we just went through it, we prayed a little bit, the verse is in bold, and we, when we read what's in the gray, we didn't get to the other part. But we got that far. Okay, we did it. Someone asked me, did you have Morning Revival? I did it. But it... It was morning, but it wasn't revival. <laughs> but when you drink along with eating, it's morning revival. And revival means a fresh inflow of life. That's what revival is. So the fact that the river of water of life flows from the throne and that the tree of life grows in the river indicates that the spiritual drink is even more crucial than the spiritual food. Since the tree of life is in the water of life, the way to enjoy the tree is to drink the water. So th this is our first message. And knowing the meaning of resurrection and drinking the water of life in resurrection, I believe we have some light in varying degrees on what resurrection is. And that will lead us to more experience. But while we're waiting for that to take place, we can all drink. We're all, we've all been baptized into the body of Christ in one spirit. We're all in the same position. We're all given to drink one spirit. So I have a suggestion. Let's recover the drinking. Let's be saved from dehydration. And just drink the spirit more than eight glasses a day. Just drink it again and again and again. And I believe the Lord sometimes, I know he likes this. He likes to surprise us with blessings and pleasant things he does. We'll realize, whoa, 
isn't just water. I'm becoming a resurrection man. Resurrection life is thriving in me. Why is my mood changed? I didn't have to wait for the emotional tide. Middle-aged guys have this, sisters. You're not the only ones that have emotions. But we got the moody kind. Waiting for a tidal wave to come in and, and lift us up. Instead, just drink resurrection water. It will change everything. The joy is there. The life is there. The grace is there. Everything is there. Let's drink the water of life in resurrection. And then let's do this for about 25 minutes. The brothers will direct us. Let's speak to one another in the water of life in resurrection.